Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me directly um, via Instagram or my website, Soul to Soul Wellness. Um, but without further ado, let's get into Tara and her story and hear firsthand about someone who has experienced the benefits of CFT. So, hi, Tara. Hi, Courtney. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And I'm so excited for the world to hear your story. And um, just to start us off, will you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and how you came into CFT? Yeah, uh, my name is Tara, and I live in Brooks County, Pennsylvania. Um, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and um, we came to know CFT. Well, actually, it was kind of through the Instagram world. There were, like, a lot of people throwing around information about tongue ties um, and how it was sort of this, you know, sign of systemic fascist strain, and it just fascinated me and I just felt this unction to like dive deeper into that so I started um digging through the information on a lot of the the, uh, a couple handful of different um accounts that do fascia work and I then discovered the Facebook group for Gillespie approach and was reading testimonials there and then Dr. Gillespie's website and um, just scouring through testimonials, his own, you know, that he was writing for people and then those on the Facebook group. And, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, what mindset I was in. I just remember going, like, this is the answer for my daughter. Um, and now that, like, so many months later, it, it seems so, it makes so much sense, but I, I don't. I'm trying to think of at the time what exactly it was that made me go like, this is the answer. But I just I, I don't know if it was intuition or, um, you know, reading other people's testimonials of like all the baby and you know, um, one of the things I think that stood out was really fast labor, and I was like, well, that's my story. So yeah, so that was kind of what led me to it, and then um. As I get into my story, I'll share, but basically, I, I was like, let me look for a Gillespie approach practitioner. It's such like a niche therapy. Like, I doubt anyone's near me. And lo and behold, Dr. Gillespie, the founder of therapy, practices 45 minutes away. So then, you know, this beautiful journey has unfolded. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, so beautiful. And yes, for those of you who are listening, I'm. Karen and I are located in and around the Philadelphia area, and Dr. Barry Gillespie, which I didn't, I didn't give respect to in my introduction, is located in the, it also in the greater Philadelphia area, specifically in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And um, a little bit on him before we get further into Tara's story is he started his journey, he's now 75 years old, um, he started his journey as a periodontist back in the day. And ended up seeing a lot of patients with TMJ, with lockjaw, with tongue ties, with lip ties, and you know all across the board. And and he his intuition led him to the question, well, what are we doing with the rest of the body, and what are we doing about how are we addressing fascial strain, right? And back in the seventies, this wasn't. 
this really wasn't something that people were doing. Um, I will give credit to the Upledger Institute, which is also, it's kind of the, the bread and butter for craniosacral. Um, and they started several decades ago as well in their origin. Um, they, they specifically focus on craniosacral and offering craniosacral trainings, etc. So what Dr. Gillespie did um, basically was ended up taking, he created this approach, right? Just off of his intuition um, and started seeing a lot of success in his dentistry patients. Um, and then he, he basically, there were a couple times where practitioners or the dentist, dentistry practice owners were like, hey, Dr. G, this isn't, this isn't what we do. You, you can't do this here, right, back in the 70s. And, um, and so he's like, okay, well, then I'll take it elsewhere. This is people are seeing results. This work needs to be done. And so um, as per my knowing, Dr. G traveled all around the U.S., basically just teaching people, showing people the work. Um, and it really wasn't until the early 2000s where it really started to take take two. And people were like, okay, there's something to this. Um, which leads into his practice today, now where he's moved away from periodentistry. Um, and he solely does CFT body work. Um, and his, this is a perfect segue to, to excuse me, to Tara's story, um, because the area in which Dr. G is really, really passionate about is infant work. And his belief is that every infant, that the moment they are birthed, um, should be receiving craniosacral fascial therapy. Um, because we all have fascial strength from day one, believe it or not. This is not just a modality for adults this is sorry my my internet cut off that's okay we're back it's all good um, yeah so this is not just a modality for adults it is a modality for everyone and i do want to just um really quick give you a couple of conditions you might be listening and thinking like, well, what I, I don't know. I have back pain. Could I be, could I, could CFT be helpful for me? Um, absolutely. It can be helpful for everyone. And, um, things in infants, which CFT could help are things like tongue ties, um, reflux, colic, as Tara mentioned, indigestion, torticollis, sleep issues, um, for children, asthma, earaches, headaches, learning disorders, sinus conditions, bed weight, wetting, allergies, you know, general body pain, um, and then for adults, migraines, sinus headaches, um, concussions, like I said previously, surgeries, TMJ, nerve pain, pelvic pain, anxiety, so the list goes on, right? Um, so, Let's, without further ado, let's hear a bit more about Tara and her, her daughter's story um, and the details really in between just the incredible transformation she witnessed. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I have to, it starts with the birth, which was very, a very monumental part of the story, but really it goes back further than that into my husband's story and um, his proclivity toward this, his strain since birth. And then that sort of factoring into my daughter's proclivity. So that's why this is a very kind of sacred 
um, sacred ground for me because we've been digging into his health, you know, history for a very long time, trying to get underneath some things. So, um, but so with my daughter, yeah. So uh, my birth with her lasted labor lasted six hours. So I started contracting at 10 p.m. Um, that was like official start of labor. My contractions were like 10 minutes apart. And I was like, I'll go to sleep. Um, I'm sure I have at least like 16 hours to 24 hours. I'm a first time mom before, you know, I'm, you know, having this baby. So I'm going to try and rest. And I woke up at 1230 with contractions three minutes apart and quickly progressed to two minutes apart. And then I was in transition on my living room floor um, with the birth center that I was supposed to be birthing at 50 minutes away. Five zero. So, um, I was also, she was like slightly sunny side up. So her head was right on my sacrum. And so I wasn't getting a break between contractions. And, um, yeah, I, I feel like I could do, <laughs> I could do a whole like hour long talk on just labor and like what, um, like happens in the female psyche as you go through that process but um that was absolutely grueling and so I couldn't move I was like I'm not getting off the floor and um you know we were like my husband's like should we go to the local hospital it's 15 minutes away or should we shoot for the birthing center well thank god um my sister-in-law actually came over and she applied some counter pressure on my sacrum and that I think is what allowed my body and, and baby to turn and rotate and she moved down and like I was I got like a minute break between contractions so I was contracting like every two minutes every minute but we got in the car and head to the birth center and um so yeah we, by the time we got to the birthing center we actually made it and I, I almost had her in the car water broke 15 minutes to spare I made it and had her um So, yeah, I mean, that was a little, that was traumatizing, to say the least. Um, And I think that, I mean, I don't know if every woman, you know, it feels that way, at least for unmedicated births, but I think it's quite common for first births. Um, You just don't know how intense it is. And um, so, yeah, so she came out this clenched. And I remember my naturopath, I I see a naturopathic doctor and she would always try and like unclench the fist. Like she really felt like, you know, I didn't understand. I had no context for newborn care and she was always trying to unclench her fist. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like what? Because I, you know, I'm coming in with the mindset of like trusting that the body gives, like looking at every little thing is going, this is a potential deeper underlying issue um, if, if there's anything that deviates from normal, because I know enough to know now that with the journey that my husband and I have been on that, um, you know, the body tells a story and it's like symptoms aren't um, random outliers. Like they are there for a reason. And there's a reason that, you know, you have migraines or, you know, just all these things that are consi- can be considered common or normal. Well, they might be common, but they're not normal. So anyway, um, yeah, and then um, newborn period was just kind of, you know, it was grueling for me. She wasn't sleeping much. I wasn't sleeping. Um, she was moderately colicky. She would cry for hours in the evening. I had some breastfeeding issues. I mean, I never had, like, a supply issue, but 
I actually had an oversupply, you know, so she was choking and projectile vomiting and, you know, all the things that now I know I'm like, wow, there was like so many signs that, um, I had, I had no context for. So, um, yeah, one of the other things I've mentioned in the story I typed up is just like, it seemed like she was in pain, which I know a lot of moms say, like your mom instinct knows when you're, even though your baby's colicky and a, you know, conventional, um, doctor would say it's, I, I, I would, it's some, you know, on the spectrum of normal because it's so common and we don't know why and maybe digestive issues, but you know, your baby's cry and you, you can hear like it hits a part of you and you're just like that's not normal there's something it sounds like pain right and that's how it felt with esther um, my daughter esther you know laying her down for diaper changes i'm like why is she screaming with diaper changes why is she screaming in the car seat i mean i can't put her in there for a single minute without her crying um so that presented a lot of anxiety in me which you know wasn't good for her either and um so yeah i mean i did struggle through postpartum anxiety and you know episodes of that um and yeah just sort of you know grit we just grit our teeth and got through it i mean that's all you can do (laughs) that's all we can do at the time so um do you sorry i don't if you want to stop and ask questions at any point just just let me know i'm just trying (laughs) You're doing great, Tara. Yeah, yeah, keep on going. And I do, I, I, this is just a brief interruption to, um, yeah, to just bring my compassion to, to postpartum anxiety. And I, I will absolutely name that I relate in that experience, Tara. I just so happen to have little ones just a few months apart from one another. And, um, yeah, and, and just the validation of, of everything that you said from, like, when you hear your child's cry, you can distinguish what, even if you, even if you don't know, you do know, right? There's something, there's something behind it because it sounds different, be it pain, be it agitation, be it, you know, the disturbance of some sort, you can sense that. And also, you know, there's obviously, there's a lot of conversations around the interrelatedness between mother and child and the bond there, right? So it's kind of this, really this vicious cycle of like, okay, baby's agitated, and it might be fascial strain, but at the time we might not know that, right? And and then baby's ad- agitated, so mom's mom's anxious, and and it, and they feed off of one another. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just want to I want to bring my voice to that. And, and although you said I love how you distinguish, like it, it's not it's not normal, right? It deviates from normal, but it's so common that we think things like this are normal, right? Like even when people talk to you about colic, they're like. Oh, they'll overcome it, right? Oh, you know, it's like, I'm not sleeping. Like, no one's happy. This is not normal. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so so please proceed. But but also just know, like, any, any mother out there listening to this or female, if you don't want children or have children, but, you know, family members or friends do, um, just knowing very well that you can bring empathy to that experience because, yeah, at the time, it's a lot. Right. And so this has shaped my philosophy now of life. Like, it's totally altered the way I want to live life. And I, I really, it's brought me back to this sort of ancestral wisdom of, like, how we are supposed to live in villages. And honestly, becoming a mom it totally 
sort of sort of revolutionized my understanding of that in terms of like how fundamental and important it is to have a support system because you know there are people that are doing it with many more kids but like doing it with one alone is exponentially harder than it should be um if if you would ha- if you have a if you do if you don't have a support system so not sleeping <laughs> is a form of torture and um it was sort of like a god thing and i even remembered some of this story like i remember waking up in the middle of the night and having details come back and being like oh i have to write it down because like i didn't even remember this part i think that we can kind of sort of gloss it over and, and compartmentalize it and it's like we forget you know how hard it was because you know our brains are just like I you know I was sleep deprived this <laughs> this isn't something I'm gonna you know be able to um you know even keep in the consciousness it might just lay in the subconsciousness so um so yeah I mean I obviously there were still absolutely beautiful moments but um you know, there was this underlying challenge that I was like, just trying to grapple with as a new mom and having no context for um, newborn care, let alone like, just thriving newborn life and mom, you know, adjusting that whole adjustment. So, um, but yeah, I mean, she was, the call definitely subsided with time. But you know, one of the things that this community will hear is like, you don't outgrow strain. And so the colic subsiding and, and to your point earlier, say, like people saying they'll outgrow it. Um, what, what people aren't understanding when they say that is that, um, you know, if the, the colic is a result of strain, which um, I think in large part it is not that there can't be other causes. It just morphs into different challenges later. So the colic might subside, but then there's other issues. So, yeah, she, she, the th- I knew that she was a good tempered child, but it seemed like there was something physiologically keeping her um, uncomfortable. And, you know, by um, I, like skipping ahead a little bit, by the time she was 10 months old, I had been taking her through the GAPS diet actually, because um, she had some mild eczema. And um, just for some a little bit more context for people who are listening who follow you know similar lifestyles we do like I um, am very conscientious of like what I eat and you know it, it does obviously there's no way it could be completely perfect in that regard but generally like we're we're very clean eaters that could be, that's a very arbitrary term but like I followed um, Weston A Price for pregnancy nutrition and. Um, so all that to say that I knew eczema again was not normal. And then I'm going, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? Because I'm like diligent to, to which glyphosate, you know, if you're, I'm like, how many rabbit trails am I going to go down here? Um, it's ubiquitous, right? Like even though organic food has it because it's in the rainwater and it's in the, um, the, the water table, of, you know, of any surrounding areas where it's being sprayed. So it's not that I... I didn't think that she could be exposed to something that could cause like gut um, permeability, but it's just like with the amount of work I put in, I was like, wow, like even she's being affected. It just goes to show how much of a toxic soup that we are in, in our day and age. So, but I'm like, okay, eczema, like I gotta, 
now I got to deep dive into this. And, you know, so I took her through the gaps intro, which um, I love that protocol, by the way. It just wasn't, it didn't fix things for Esther. Like, um, I think it was helpful in some regards because she was drinking like a ton of stock and that's just extremely nourishing. And I do think it was really nourishing to the gut. Um, but she actually had um, some other underlying like um, issues that I think caused the eczema. But I had done everything to try and treat um, that. And then she had this accompanying constipation, which, you know, she was regular up until um, six months old when I started um, introducing solids. But we had been now like four months into this constipation of her going every couple days. And I was like, you know, she should be going every day. Right. I mean, most Americans are constipated. And they're not going every day, but every everyone should be going at least once a day, if not twice. Um, some doctors even say three times a day, but uh, you know it varies for individual, like by individual. Um, so that is when I learned about craniosacral therapy, and I was sort of just like starting to put my feelers out to go like, okay, I've, I've tried the GAPS diet um, for this constipation issue, um, and you know, I don't feel like we made strides there because she's still constipated. And I was like, you know, let me just try. I just, uh, again, it was that intuition piece, I, I think, that was guiding me. And I was like, I just feel led to try this now. And I've heard of it before. And, like, I have a loose understanding of what it is. Um, but I've never received it myself. I just feel led to try this for her. And I, I have a friend who's a lactation consultant. And she had a um, craniosacral therapist that she liked. And she sent me to her. And this woman, <laughs> excuse me, was the first one to really explain fascial strain to me. And it just sort of like blew my world open to this understanding. And um, she actually doesn't practice CFT, which um, I would be interested to talk to her um, with this newfound understanding. But like, so she was practicing CST. Um, but understood this fascial, fascial strain piece. And she explained it as um, basically there's a clump of cells in, you know, in utero in the um, embryonic stage. I think it's like week six through eight where um, there's a line, you know, of cells down the center that is supposed to dissolve as the embryo develops. Um, but because of certain uh, environmental and genetic, uh, you know, I don't know how much genetic plays into it, but I do think it plays some part in environmental factors. This line of cells isn't dissolving and it's actually um, like a, the thread of a sweater being pulled and all of the, all of the like surrounding threads of the sweater are being pulled into that one sort of like um, pull in the sweater. And that's how it ends up manifesting once the child is born. There's this midline fascial tension. And that's what, you, when you see a tie, and, and, but it, it, it's really just the tip of the iceberg. And there's this systemic fascial strain. But, you know, and this is a whole other kind of like thing to talk about, but the tongue tie being corrected can still do a lot of good because, um, it can help release some of the strain. So anyway, um, she really wanted me to get the tongue tie corrected. And I was like, I, I, you know, I wasn't comfortable doing that right off the bat because I knew there needed to be a lot of pre and post work 
to make that successful. And I didn't feel like I had the team to do that. So once I knew, and she was looking at Esther and she was like rattling off a couple of different things that was, she was going, this is a sign to me of systemic natural strain. Like she has a, a gap in her teeth, um, some narrowing, um, like in the face around the eye, like, and it was all just like starting to dawn on me. And I was like, Oh wow. Like, this makes total sense. So I think that's probably about the time that started. You know, this at this time, people like Corey Malloy were sharing. You know, it was like such a god thing that they just happened to be sharing about this very topic. And I was like looking, you know, I was looking at their stories and I was doing some diving into the accounts that they were sharing and I don't know how to explain it other than like God just led me to this understanding. And like I explained to you earlier, I'm not sure if we were recording, but I started um, looking into the information on a handful of different fascial um, therapy accounts and then found the Gillespie Approach Facebook group, read testimonials there, went on his website, read his testimonials. And I was like, what is a brain cycle? Like, and I was like, I have to, like, it was like, my fascination was peaked. Like I was like, I have to understand what the heck this means. And I just like read for hours and I was like, okay, this is it. Um, she needs this like ASAP. And you know, she, this is the, she's having, she has the systemic fascial strain. This is the answer. Like, where do I find a therapist that does this? And, um, like I said to you earlier, I was like, this is such a niche therapy. Like I doubt anyone practices near me. I'll, I'll look, you know, and you have to look through the Facebook group to find a practitioner because there's no certification process for CFT. So you just have to kind of, <laughs> it's just sort of like a grassroots movement, <laughs> essentially. And um, you just search by location in this Facebook group. And then it's like, I realized that Dr. Gillespie himself practices 45 minutes away from me. And I was like, wow, wow, okay, here we go. <laughs> Yes, yes, and I do. I want to pause you right there because, again, just one of those, another one of those God-led moments where it's like, can't explain it, can't describe it. Like, here we are, the, you know, the stars are, are, are aligning, right? Like, this is meant to be. And um, Tara touched on a couple of things just for the listeners that I want to bring um, clarity to. So she, she did use the um, acronym CST, and I realized I didn't clarify that at the start. Um so CST, that's the acronym for cranial sacral therapy. Again, I mentioned the Upledger Institute, primarily the modality that they teach, and some other um, some other organizations instruct as well. There's several of them across the world. Um, so that's just cranial sacral CST. CFT is the acronym for Dr. Gillespie's approach, cranial sacral fascial therapy, which combines the two modalities. Um, and I'll also say. I mean, that's, I also came into CFT by fate, having been a recipient of CST, cranial sacral therapy, and that alone really moving me as an individual in my healing journey to want to become a practitioner. Um, and then ends up when I just Googled, you know, cranial sacral trainings near me, of course, the CFT one pops up and I'm like, yep, that's it. Even I arrive, I didn't even, I know the fascial system because of my experience as a yoga teacher and as just a general anatomy and physiology nerd, but I was like, oh my 
gosh, I didn't even know this is what I was getting myself into. I thought, you know, I thought this was just craniosacral. Like, of course, this makes so much sense to me. Um, so, yeah, there's that for what it is. And then um, Tara also mentioned Corey Malloy, who is, um, yeah, has an account on Instagram, in which I will also share in the show, show notes. Um, she has some really, really fantastic content. Um and shares her experience as a mother with children and exploring body work and different modalities um, for healing. And then the last piece before we hear more of Tara's story that I want to mention, and I, I really want to give credit to this scientist, so I'm, I will try to find his name. But in the craniosacral fascial training, the, um, the instructor shared a, a picture of a tongue dissection that was done. Um, I think several decades ago, but, and I will also share a link to this in the show notes that literally shows the connectedness, I'm looking at it right now, of the tongue connecting all the way down to the big toe through fascia and through connective tissue. So it's touching on internal internal organs like the lung, you know, it's connected to the, the pubic synthesis and the knee capsule and um, yeah, literally our entire body. It's mind blowing. So, again, relating that to a baby with tongue ties could be experiencing fascial, like immense fascial strain near and around their sacrum and their pelvis area. And, again, like the origin of the fascial strain, which I actually didn't know, Tara, could, could be the six to eight, you know, could have began in the six to eight week period in utero. Um, so, again, coming back to that question of, like, well, who, who receives CFT? Well, Everybody, you know, could be and should be, right? Because fascial strain impacts all of us. Um, so, yes. Yes. And Corey Malai has a great um, show, podcast show, interviewing Michelle Chu from, I think that's how you say her name. Um, and she, they talk about some of the theories behind why we're seeing more tongue ties. And um, they talk about, you know, this whole study of the fascial system and how it's a relatively new study. Um, so that would be a great, yeah, if people are looking for resources to understand this better. Um, so where was I? <laughs> yeah. Um, Basically, yeah, find researching a CFT practitioner. Again, oh, that was the last piece I wanted to note, or note is Tara is correct in that there's no credentialing process currently um, for CFT practitioners. For some of that, for some folks that might raise a red flag, I'll tell you why. Dr. Gillespie, his philosophy is anyone and everyone can do this work. Now, if you go on Google and Google Dr. Gary Gillespie, Gary Gillespie, excuse me, tongue tie, um, figuratively speaking, <laughs> he, you will not find a video on his work. And a huge part of that is because CFT is rooted in the philosophy of we follow the body's innate wisdom, mm -hmm. right? So, and I have a bit right here, I just actually want to read out from the training manual itself um, that says every living thing has innate wisdom. This is the natural inborn intelligence to self-heal and self-repair. Mm -hmm. Our bodies have the ability to seek balance, health, and maintain homeostasis. The innate wisdom of the body oversees all processes of the body and mind. We can think of innate wisdom as a conductor continuously organizing and updating the mind-body hologram. And of course, there's more, and I'll and I'll I'll save that for now. Um, but again, you 
won't find a video on, of Dr. G working with a client because he's like, that's that's not how I work with every client. There's no prescription. Um, and as a, as a practitioner, it's anyone can do it. I'll tell you this right now. Um, but it really becomes less about you and your, quote, modalities, end quote, and more about the body in front of you and their potential to self-heal. Right? So it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing. And, and so, yes, for that reason, there are, um, Kim and Holly are the two main gals right now. And I will also link their websites in the show notes. They're wonderful practitioners. One is based in North Carolina and the other is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, and they travel around the U.S. currently offering trainings um, for both adults, adult-related CFT trainings and then infant-related CFT trainings. And they approach them a little bit differently, which is why they're separate. Um, and these trainings are getting booked up at, like, in blink of an eye. Um, so people, you know, it goes to show people are drawn to this work. Um, but yes, as Tara said, if you're out there looking for a practitioner, I will also link the CFT page, the West View page on Facebook in the show notes, um, because that's kind of the grassroots way currently to find a practitioner outside of Google in your area. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, what you said about the body's ability to heal and that is why I think this, this therapy runs counter to a lot of what we find in the conventional sector or the, that paradigm of thought. Um, because, you know, conventional paradigm of thought is like disease. You know, if the body is riddled by disease, it needs, you know, instead of like this understanding that we are innately our bodies innately have this intelligence to heal if it's given the space to do that. And that's why, you know, I love this therapy, but, um, you know, I, I want to stay on track. There's so many different, <laughs> so many different things we can talk about, but, um, yeah. So some of the other things I was seeing in my daughter at that time, along with the constipation that were just sort of like priming my mom instincts to go like, why? Like, why is that there? Because I know that I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew it wasn't normal. So she was like overtoned in her, I, I literally, I called it nervous system excitability. Like if I would take her to, we went to like a lot of different appointments for, we saw an acupathic doctor and we saw a chiropractor. And, you know, if I was to put her down on the exam table, like she would scream. And I'm just like, it's not that her temperament couldn't be playing a role, but like why it, she would get herself worked up to the point where she was, it looked like it almost was manifesting it as it, to me, it looked like emotional trauma. I'm like, why is she so upset? And, um, you know, that was the case early on, like first six months, if she saw like, like strangers trying to hold her, which I know is very common, but still for her to get worked up to the point that she did, it seemed excessive. You know, it seemed like more than just a personality thing of like, um, you know, if her temperament was like, I want to stay close to mom or whatever. It was just sort of like almost it, it her emotional sort of reaction to the event would like manifest. Like I said, it looked like trauma to me. Um, the other thing was like, I noticed that if I moved too quickly near her, literally, like if I just like got up to walk away, she would like jump like as though, you know, she was just like 
intense, right? I didn't know why at the time. So, um, and then of course the other thing was her sleep, being that she was waking like every every one to two hours, which was, you know, pretty grueling. And I knew like, hey, there should be some movement in the needle here. Like if we're not cutting a tooth and she's still waking like that, like what is going on? So um, again, I, I we started with the craniosacral therapy. We didn't see much changes in that regard, but like it opened me up to this newfound understanding. I got I got in the books with Dr. Gillespie, and you know, eagerly anticipated our appointment with him. Um, sorry, before we went to Gillespie, the craniosacral therapist was like, "Take her." She's like, "I can't diagnose a tie. Like that's not within my professional ability to do." So take her to um, a tongue, a tethered old tie, like savvy um, dentist, pediatric dentist to, you know, just to, to get like the diagnosis. And he can talk to you about if you want to do a phlenectomy, which is the releasing the tissue um, of the tie, be it under the tongue, if it's a tongue tie or the lip, if they have a lip tie. And so, again, I wanted to just have a better understanding of what I was dealing with. Not that I was going to go through with the phrenectomy. I wasn't sure at that point, but I took her to the dentist and he did um, diagnose a mild anterior tongue tie. Um, and so he was like, I, I, you know, I was like kind of probing him with questions like, do you think this will improve things for her? And he, he really like was not pushy. He was like, I can't say one way or the other if it will or it won't. Um, so I, I left there with like a lot of questions and I knew that I had a starting point of understanding of going like, okay, there is a tie. So like I can start like, like arming myself with information and research in regards to like what work needs to be done for that. But, um, I'm not ready to just like go clip this thing. Cause I know that can be really traumatizing. And you know, that was something I wanted. I just, I just personally didn't feel comfortable. I know there are people who do it and it goes great and that's awesome. But I just, with how like over um, reactive she was to different things already, like it was like hard for me to even bring her for the dental evaluation because she was like screaming and I was like, I could not imagine doing this with, you know, for the procedure. It was just like a little overwhelming. So the good thing was, is that her tie wasn't severe. Like, it's not like I, I didn't have, you know, once we got through the initial challenges with breastfeeding where I had an oversupply and all like the spit up and stuff, like we had a relatively like uneventful breastfeeding journey. It was like good and smooth. Um, she was started eating solid. She was doing well with that. But, you know, she was coughing and gagging um, while she was eating salt, like solids. And it was happening like, you know, fairly often. And so I just sort of noted that as like, because the CS, this craniosacral therapist did say like, that's a sign of, that can be a sign of a tie. Um, so again, it was like, okay, it's not, <laughs> excuse me, it's not like impeding her ability to function, um, but it's there. And so let me continue with this body workout, which is essentially what I did. And um, then, you know, our journey with CFT began. And so, interestingly, um, our first appointment with Dr. Barry, <laughs> it was awesome because, you know, meeting him, I was able to tell him, like, I felt like I went to his office like, Dr. Barry, listen, like, oh my gosh, like, 
what you've done is incredible. And he was like laughing because he's like, you know, it was encouraging for him to see someone who understood the impact of his work and like was as enthused as I was. And, you know, and I'm like, and I think this is the answer for my husband. And like, (laughs) so I just like really right off the bat was just like not toning down my enthusiasm. So anyway, first appointment, um, he, he starts my understanding. I, I have yet to go through the training, but, and I, I'm sure there's different approaches, but he starts bottom up. So he starts with the feet and then the legs and then the abdomen and so forth. So he actually went right to her legs and he looked at her left leg and he was like, and, um, so he, the left leg, he noticed had, you know, this strain and basically he could discern based on the, the strain pattern in her body the position she was in in utero and he was like this left leg was being pulled up you know in such a way that it causes strain and it was like this compressive force in in utero that held her leg in this unnatural fashion and now her leg wants to stay in that position because it was like that for so long and like and he, he felt her belly and he was like, her belly's very tense. And I had no, like, nothing to compare it to, um, you know, like no baseline or normal. And, and so, but he just was like, and, you know, now, now that I feel her belly, I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, it's so loose. And I actually noticed it on other kids. And it's really interesting. This is just my own working theory. It's not my, it's really Dr. Barry's theory being that the abdominal strain causes the colic. But like, I, it's interesting when I'm, you know, around other little kids and I can feel the, the tense, the tension in their abdomen. It's like a board. And just anecdotally, this is my own experience. I find that those kids are like either emotionally more um, just needy or like overreactive. And it was just very interesting. So he worked. I want to I want to pause you right there, um, just for the listeners here, and for another indication. Again, as we say, like everybody varies, but there are some common indications of what could be fascial strain. And another one that I've seen in little kiddos in um, in the short while I've been practicing is around the head and the neck, which in the shoulders, which is a, a target area I would say, arguably for most adults. At large for breastfeeding mothers as well. There's a lot happening in that area for your body. But right away, I can touch a, a little kiddo's um, really kind of where their neck meets their shoulders. And if they're shrugging their shoulders up towards their ears or they're, or they're basically like shrugging your hand away from touching them, granted a lot of like it, it's uncomfortable for a lot of kiddos to be met with touch there. But I will say not all. There are some kiddos where you t- touch their head and neck shoulders and I'm talking light pressure like no more than a a nickel or a dime's worth of pressure and they're completely unfazed and fine with it so what that tells me is also as a CFT practitioner is like okay if it like it might be painful for the child for me to put a nickel or dime's worth of pressure on their head neck or shoulders even due to fascial strain so I'm going to do a little bit more evaluation of like yeah, I'm going to take brain cycle, which we'll talk more about later, but, and I'm going to feel into their, their shoulders and their chest and their abdomen. I mean, I'm going to go everywhere, but, um, and I've yet to be a recipient of Dr. Barry's work, but, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. He has a pretty innate, like gravitational 
pull to, to exact pinpoint area in your body where their um, more fascial strain is being held. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, so, yeah, so interestingly enough, he he worked on that leg and, you know, just sort of held it in, in such a way that it allowed, you know, some of that strain to release in the leg. I don't even think he worked on her belly in that first appointment. I can't remember. I remember him spending a good portion of time on her belly, but I don't think he even worked on her belly in that first appointment. And in the... 24 hours following, she had four bowel movements. Um, and this was, you know, previously she had been going every few days. And I was like, that's incredible. I mean, as someone who did everything I knew to do to rectify the constipation, I was like, this, you know, this is, <laughs> this is huge. So um, the other thing was my husband was, you know, we massage her every night. Like it's part of our bedtime routine. And, he, and we would do the belly massage because, you know, we were trying to help, you know, the peristalsis and the movement of contents in the bowel to get her to poop and sort of loosen things up. And so every night he was massaging her belly and he he felt that just the, after that first appointment, he was like, wow, her belly is so much less tense. Um, and I was like, you know, he was the one doing the massage every night. And funnily enough, I mean, he that was just that's his like you know, what he does, that's part of his routine with her. So I hadn't actually been feeling it myself. Um, but now I know what, you know, what loose and hard feels like. So it's, it's more, um, like innate to me, but, um, so yeah, so we continued going, you know, he, he, he did work on the belly. He did a lot of, you know, he said she had a lot of strain there, which kind of explains, likely explains the colic that we were seeing. Um, you know, it's it's largely, I think, understood that there's some connection to, like, GI distress with colic. And so this abdominal fascial strain can precipitate GI distress because it's pulling on the intestines. It can be even compressing, you know, the intestines to some degree, causing the constipation. And just, just that tension being held in that area can slow things down, um, slow the contents from moving. So, um... The other interesting thing I saw as we progressed in therapy was she started closing her mouth, which I was so pleased to see because well, the mouth breathing was something the craniosacral therapist turned me on to. And she was like, she should always be breathing through her nose um, unless she's laughing or talking or eating. And she wasn't. She was always mouth open, right? Which is indicative of a couple things. It could be that her palate wasn't wide enough to accommodate her tongue. Um, and so seeing her close her mouth, that was like huge, you know, because it's like, wow, first of all, to maintain that, which she did for months and months and months, she is starting to mouth breathe a little bit more now. And that's sort of, um, I'm starting to now dive into like uh, debating whether I will have this phrenectomy procedure done for her sooner than later um, just because the ability for the tongue to rest on the palate and the mouth to close actually affects development you know that will affect them for life it will affect the way their palate develops um, into adulthood their you know the ability to nose breathe has an entire cascade of effects on our physiology and mouth breathing causes a lot of complications um, it, it, you know, can, 
cause the sinuses not to um, spread out and develop properly. So, like, you know, I'm just trying to provide a little bit of context for those who don't know. But, like, I had this understanding of knowing, like, why her closing her mouth, tongue on the roof of the mouth, breathing through the nose was so important. So to see her close her mouth, you know, and, and we had done with the craniosacral therapist a lot of, like, oral exercises to try and stimulate the oral nerves to try and get that mouth to close. We were doing guppy pose. Like I was doing things to try and like sort of stretch out that tension that we were seeing. Um, but it wasn't until she received this philosophy, you know, approach therapy that she started mouth breathing. So um, that was a huge win. Um, or, or the opposite that she started nose, nose breathing. Sorry. Yeah. She started nose breathing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, what else? Um, he found. Okay, so she had. Um, she, thankfully, she didn't have like the cord wrapped around her in birth or anything, but she had a lot of strain in her neck. She had fallen a few times, which is fairly common, I guess, for you know young kids um, learning to crawl and walk and everything. She was just starting to walk when we started dying in him. And so she was starting to hit her head here and there a little more. So she had some strain in her neck. Um, and, oh, by the way, she had a zero-second brain cycle on our first appointment, um, meaning that her brain essentially, like, wasn't breathing and perfusing this cerebrospinal fluid and lymphatic fluid throughout the body uh, because there was this compression um, in the head. And... Um, so she had opened up the first appointment to 90 seconds and then, you know, just progressed from there. And she was at, I remember she was at 180 seconds. Because I remember every appointment, I was like, what's the brain cycle at? What's the brain cycle at? I want to get over 200. I just, I can't wait till we get to over 200 because I'll feel like I'm in the clear and she's like in a good place. Um, <laughs> so I remember we were at 180 seconds and um, we went on a trip. We actually went to, we traveled with a friend to visit another friend in another part of the country. And the whole time, I remember this friend of ours going, she is such a good baby. She's such a good baby. Like she didn't cry once the, the entire time. And we were like flying for a while and driving for a while and sleep deprived. And she was like perfect. I mean, she didn't fuss at all. And it was like, and this is why Dr. Gillespie calls, you know, her story entirely different child. That's what he titled it. It's like, because she was an entirely different child. I traveled with her at six months old. We took like a 10 hour road trip up to like, um, stay with fa uh, family vacation. And it was like slightly miserable because I mean, the sleep deprivation affected her so much and she was always so sensitive to that, you know, any skips in the naps or anything like she just could not deal with a lot of stressors like you know a baby that wasn't under so much tension probably could so the fact that we could do this travel and she could be so even healed was like just revolution revolution like revolutionary for me I was like wow like this is you know she's really made some incredible progress and um you know she was just generally happier um she was sleeping better through the night I think on our second appointment after our second appointment, she actually slept through the night for the first time in like five months. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, 
I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. Oh, and I want. I know you're in the mo- the motion of, of storytelling. I just want to jump in real quick right there and and mention like that's music to any parent's words. It's like like your kids slept through the night. And I also want to bring I want to bring some sensitivity to this hyper fixation that we have on sleep, um, especially in the eyes of a parent in our world and especially our Western society in the U.S. And I remember. Um, that being something that exasperated my anxiety as a new mother of like, okay, well, it's right. It's like, it's, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's the expectation that your baby's not going to sleep. And then there's the expectation that like everyone should be sleeping. Like my baby needs to sleep, you know? And so it's like, what, you know, at what point and at what, like, and then you start asking and that's where, you know, the human mind will tend to compare. And especially as a mother with heightened hormones and heightened anxiety, it's like, ah, you know, what's the solution, but I do want, I really want to highlight this and, and what Tara has said here is her daughter's story being, you know, literally dubbed an entirely different child. Like if you are a mother out there or an auntie or a godmother or again, a sister, and you know, of a kiddo who, who will not get in the car seat and who will not sleep through the night. And again, like similarly as someone who's innately trusting and interested in knowing of the body especially with children who don't have language what okay let's look at what the body is literally telling us which is that that's i mean kiddos for that reason are some of our greatest teachers because um and they're also a little bit less convoluted when it comes to the mind the mind stuff right in comparison to adults it's okay what is the body telling us well, okay, for someone who doesn't have a bodywork lens or is totally, you know, it feels totally out of left field to consider fascial strain, like, here we are. That could definitely be part of your of your kiddo's indigestion or lack of sleep. They like, could literally be in constant agitation at any point. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah, it's, it's not to say that all sleeping issues are related to strain, but it is to say that that fascial strain is closely related to sleep issues and it was just like I look at it as her body can finally relax and move out of that nervous system tension and excitability and into a healing state which you know sleep is a healing state and you know a lot of times when we go into a healing state like a very yin state we actually can fall asleep because our bodies instinctually know just it's safe, right? It's safe and I can rest. And so it was almost like her body, by releasing that trauma, which was stored as tension, it was it was finally going, I'm safe and I can sleep, right? Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was life-changing. And um, especially seeing, like, for her, for me as her mom, seeing her so much you know, more, um, it's not that she wasn't a pleasant baby prior, but just that she wasn't as affected by things and that she could handle, she had a higher tolerance for things and she was more easygoing and things were easier for her. Um, and things that we had to do for her, whether it was changing her, taking her places or, you know, putting her to sleep, like it wasn't as much of an issue for her. So it was so beautiful seeing her body do, you know, do what it had to do to release the, t- the tension and then subsequently 
enter into the equilibrium and shalom that our bodies are designed to be in. So, um, so yeah, so as I was saying about the trip, she did really great. And we actually, the, the, the day we came back, um, we returned, it was like a four day trip, I think. And so it was like four days of like, you know, two days, two long days of travel and all of those days her naps were off and everything. And she did really well, but we got back and the next morning she was in the kitchen and she was just learning like to open the cabinets. Okay. So this is, <laughs> this is my mental note to like baby proof before <laughs> they learn to open the cabinets. But she opened the cabinet and she pulled a cutting board out and the cutting board was on the ground and she actually slipped and she fell from standing onto her head, the back of her head. And that moment, like, it's like gone through my head a couple, like since, like sometimes it replays and I'm like, oh no, 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 I don't want that to be there. That, that sound of her hitting the floor and it sounded like a bowling ball. I mean, I didn't actually see her fall, but I heard it and I, I was like, like, tell me that was a bowl that fell out of the, you know, the cabinet because... Like the sound was, I was like, uh, um, and now it was her head and, um, you know, she recovered well in the net, like she cried for a minute and like recovered well. And I was like, okay. And then like that day she was like, just so agitated. And I was really trying to discern. I was like, is this because she's coming off of four days of sleep deprivation and now it's all caught up to her. So like, I didn't really like. I was, like, getting this instinctual nudging that, like, no, like, there's probably, you know, this hit probably affected her, um, this hit to the head, but I was, like, I don't know, maybe she's sleep-deprived. Like, I'm, I, again, this is, like, I hope, like, if this can be instructive to, um, new moms, too, it's, like, this, this journey for myself of, like, learning to trust my intuition, which now I feel like that is a lot stronger of a muscle for me now that, I've been through these experiences and like have, you know, not an expert in any regard, but like in terms of just like this innate wisdom that I, that is built into us and like learning to trust that and learning to trust that as a mom. And like, this is like a very primal instinctual thing, um, especially for, you know, a parent. And, um, so I was like, so yeah, so that day I was like, ah, she's sleep deprived. Well, no, like, she was complete behavior change. When I put her down for naps, which she was previously getting down for naps, like I'd put her in her in her pack and play, which is what she sleeps in. And she just like she would wave like while I leave. Like she's completely happy to go down. And she like absolute behavior change was like throwing herself into convulsions and I was putting her down. Any minor little tiff, she was just so agitated and by the second day I was like I think she has a mild concussion she wasn't she didn't vomit or anything after you know that um episode of the the head you know hitting the floor so I knew it wasn't like severe but I was like you know I trusted myself enough to self-monitor low stimulation I reached out to the woman that um I trust you know our naturopathic doctor for like you know wellness support healthcare and stuff and she was like you know high dose you know high dose fats epa dha if you can um and you know gave me a couple tips just like cold baths to help calm the nervous system even ice baths actually she wanted me to do and um so i basically you know i just 
herself to the vet home, just kept her like low stimulation. And then we went to Barry a couple days after that, and he found, I think she was actually back down to a zero second brain cycle from a previously 180 second brain cycle, meaning that the brain was expanding for 90 seconds and then contracting for 90 seconds. Now it wasn't expanding or contracting at all. And he found significant whiplash in her neck um, from that accident. So her symptoms at that point were, I'm trying to remember, like they were still there, but they were not, they were not totally resolved. Like she was still like sleeping more than usual and which I was letting her do to let the brain rest. Um, But after he like, he worked on her, you know, within a day, all of those symptoms resolved and um he, her brain cycle came back up to like 160 or something and you know that was that he was like that was the best thing for you to do for her was to bring her to me um because this is another piece of the fascist strain like you know understanding is that um physical trauma like precipitates fascial strain right so the birth can be that physical trauma that precipitates fascial strain, but any injuries thereafter also do. So, um, you know, if your kids are in like high intensity sports or things like that, you know, I know Dr. Gillespie advises against that. And um, so I, I just think it's really interesting for people to be armed with this information. It, that that might not be the decision you make for your child, but like just for people, most people have no understanding that these injuries can actually manifest in like lifelong issues if they're not dealt with. Right. And yes, I want to to interject there too. And I think most of us are familiar with the layers of the onion analogy and just think of, think of us as a child, right? And we are with fascial strain, literally we are adding on the layers with every stub of the toe, with every mild concussion, with every bang in the elbow, with every, you know, surgery, with every childbirth, if you experience that in this lifetime. And, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it all adds up. And so it's, it's really interesting. This is, this is surfacing right now intuitively is from a practitioner standpoint, when we do an intake form or when we have a verbal intake with someone and we're like, okay, so tell me about, you know, like major, like childbirth, surgeries, operations, dental operations, I mean, anything. And, and it's, it's, there's always something that's going to be missed and that's inevitable. Like, I, I mean, I look at intake forms and I'm like, this is exhausting. Um, but you know, a practitioner will like go to the ankle and they're like, Oh, something, what's going on with this right ankle? And they're like, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you I've sprained it seven times. And you're like, right, okay, so there could be some fascial strain there. Um yes, but before I go down that rabbit hole any further, I do want to pause and just give a little bit more insight into brain cycle as the listeners might be like, brain, what the heck is this brain cycle? Similar to Tara, like I wanna know about it. What is this? And as Tara said, so she she indicated like it and a 180 second brain cycle is 90 seconds of expansion and 90 seconds of contraction and she also previously um analogized like it's it's a your brain taking a breath um and so i i am reading this straight out of the training manual as i i want you to, to get a verbatim from what dr gillespie would say and that the brain um, has an inherent motion in which it which it expands and contracts um and that encourages movement of cerebrospinal fluid flow 
So any restricted motion or any facile strain can greatly affect our health and our overall functioning of our nervous system. Um, so when a practitioner takes brain cycle, they're assessing the degree of tightness in the cranial sacral fascial system um, by qualifying and timing the motion, right? And, and the best way I can describe it is you're placing your hands on someone's head very gently, right? There's not pressure. And it's similar to like if you were if you were to place your hands on a balloon that a friend was blowing up, okay? So as your friend is blowing up the balloon, you're feeling it expand into your head, okay? So that that's literally what we feel um, on someone's actual, or excuse me, you're feeling the balloon expand into your hands. Um, we'll replace the balloon with someone's head. Um, and, and that's why it's synonymous to like the brain taking a breath or the head taking a breath. So when someone's at a zero brain cycle, it's not that, like, they're still alive, right? But um, you're Barely. not just, yeah, just hanging on. You're not feeling that expansion and contraction. You feel just complete stagnance. And sometimes what I feel is, like, this tugging and tolling, pulling. And I think of often, like, um, two strings being tethered to the center of, like, literally the cranium. And the, and the brain is saying, like, ah, I want to let loose. I want to release. But someone's at both sides tugging and pulling and so it's not and that's I mean someone being your fascia like your fascia is literally tugging and pulling in two different directions so it's creating strain thus it's creating stagnance in cerebral spinal fluid um, movement and brain cycle great explanation thank you um yeah so Let's see. I mean, by the time you were done seeing Dr. Gillespie, um, or let me just really quickly, just about your point with the brain cycle. Um, it's such an important understanding that um, informs, like it should inform the way we approach people, like everyone. And this understand, this is why Dr. Gillespie is so passionate about about progressing this work because. The zero second brain cycle, first of all, he told me in, um, that, you know, he's like, Esther's in the top 2% of the world in terms of brain cycle because most people have a zero second brain cycle. I mean, most people, you think about trauma, like which we talked about, um, and how ubiquitous that is, okay? And so, and, and trauma is being stored as strain in the body. And, and, you know, as Dr. Gillespie says, if nine in 10 babies have birth trauma, then that stand like that reasonably means that nine in ten women also have birth trauma just from birthing their baby, not to mention their own birth trauma. And so all of these accumulated traumas and how ubiquitous that trauma is, um, and just that understanding of like, you know, something as simple as a concussion can cause this, you know, brain expansion to stop happening. And then it can manifest as, you know, as adult conditions such as migraines or, you know, tons of different conditions. But, like, where are you going where they're talking about brain cycle and fascial strain because, you know, causing migraines or causing sinusitis or causing um, dental infections or, like, you know, like, and so this understanding is so important. And this is why we're talking about this because... Yeah, I mean, it manifested for Esther as, you know, extreme agitation and concussion sy symptoms. But most of the population is walking around like this. 
and dealing with symptoms that either they just consider normal or they don't even know aren't normal or they don't even know their symptoms because they don't know what normal feels like. Um, yes, yeah, so by the time we were done seeing Dr. Gillespie, I think she had actually a total of like seven sessions, seven 30-minute sessions. So if you think of all of the accumulation of trauma as like layers of an onion, you know, which is what Gillespie talks about, and and unpeeling this onion in order to remove the strain, a child, you know, at like someone like Esther's age, who's a year old, has a much smaller onion than an adult who's accumulated a lifetime of traumas that have gone unfixed, right? And so he said that, and of course this this varies from person to person, some it could be more, some less, but he said that generally babies take five, I think he said like five to nine sessions, um, you know, just as a general rule, it's not an absolute, um, because they have much less trauma stored. So seven sessions, and he was like, you know, her brain cycle's over 200, I can't feel any strain in her body, you're done with me, like, goodbye. <laughs> and he's like, this is why this is a bad business, because people actually heal, and then they don't need you as a practitioner. But again, this is why I'm going to learn the therapy because I want to be able to provide this for her throughout life. So that if there is an injury, like she hit her head today and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> do I have to drive out to Dr. Gillespie? Like, it, it'll be nice when I can just do it myself um, because, you know, just to assess for any strain and make sure she is staying loose. Um, so, yes. So that's, that is, um. That's our story. And, you know, again, like I said, I want to learn therapy to work on my daughter, but also to be able to provide maintenance therapy for my husband. Um, and that's sort of a whole other story with my husband's health journey and now him receiving CFT with Dr. Gillespie, <laughs> excuse me, which he is being seen. Um, and while it took seven sessions for Esther to release all of her strain, I know I've read stories of it taking babies 30 sessions, um, over 30 sessions, because you can't um, control or dictate how trauma is unfolded in the body. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's our story. And I'm excited to learn myself and be able to offer this um, to people. It's so common, like I can't unsee it. Right. It's so, like I see it everywhere now. And like, um, especially for those people who I like, there's so many women in my life in my life who are about to give birth. Literally, I have like five friends that are doing July and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, if 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 they could know, you know, and I'm trying to convey the best I can and put this information out there. But how important it is to to get this within the first week of life, first two weeks of life. One, the other really interesting thing that um, could really speak to anyone who is either going, oh my gosh, this might be my child, or like has, you know, they have a tongue tie, or, or, or a narrow palate, or their child has a narrow palate. Gillespie said that in his work, he did like research in Lancaster with over 600 um, babies, measuring the results of this work and the success and so forth, and then he documented it all. And he said that the babies that had this work done on the first day of birth, he actually saw palates expand. He saw them visually expand. 
but he said if it was, you know, within that first 24-hour period and after that, he didn't, in his experience, see that the palate could um, expand with the CFT alone. Um, not to say that it, it can't, maybe it can, but like just, just, just all that to say that to preempt the need for for palate expansion is huge. Not only is you know conventional palate expansion with conventional orthodontics so strain inducing, um, but it's a huge cost, and it it could be by the time you're doing it let's say if the child's eight or nine or 10 or whatever, they've already lived so much of their life with the mouth palate, you know, and the tongue not being able to rest comfortably in the mouth and that's affected development. So that's why, you know, that's not the only reason, but like that reason alone is, is why this work is so important for people to understand, to get it done as early as possible, because you could prevent such life altering consequences and, you know, so much, um, just toil and and cost and you know that you you know you're going to be dealing you might be dealing with without um you know doing this therapy as early as possible so yeah i just um thought that was really interesting when he shared that i'm just like oh my goodness if i had known you know and it's like i can't beat myself up for what i didn't know um, but of course, and he said, it's always the case that parents who figure this out with the second or third or whatever subsequent children, they're coming right away to get this done because they're wanting to prevent the issues that they have with the first child. Um, and they've learned, you know, how important it is. So. Mm, I'm, my hands are, Tara and I are meeting over Zoom right now. And my hands are in prior position and I'm just... I'm just soaking in just the nectar, the sweet, sweet nectar that she has provided us with and, and just that, that final um, concluding statement around, like, everyone, everyone deserves CFT. You know, we will we'll take need out of the equation, and it, it is good to help someone in so many ways. And and we do say our philosophy, too, with, like, you know, some people will come and they'll be like, can you, like, a 70-year-old person will be like, can you fix my scoliosis that I've had my whole life and you're like hey bud like don't know if we can fix it but we can sure try um and I will share I want to share a couple testimonials um that came from my CFT training one of which was with an 11 year old boy that um that his scoliosis was scoliosis was fixed in three sessions with CFT entirely um pretty cool stuff. And then um, another woman who was in my CFT training, a mother of three, and all three of her children were born with torticollis, um, which for those of you who don't know what torticollis is, it's what the, the neck is basically crunched and the head is twisted towards one side typically. Um, so it takes some manipulation to get the head and neck back in alignment. Um, with her first two children, she went through um an intense amount of PT, which was incredibly traumatic, she described, for both of her two children. And with her final child, she had just come across um, a craniosacral practitioner. And so she took him to her. And um, within one session, her, um, her, the torticollis was fine with her kiddo. Um, so 
pretty, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And um, you know, I want oh, I the last piece I wanted to say was that um, both pregnant and pregnant people can be recipients of CFT too. Um, and I say that because this mother had said, you know, if had I known about CFT with my first pregnancy, like this is likely all due to the conditioning of my pelvis, you know, and, and how I carried my baby's in utero. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, pretty, pretty incredible stuff. Um, and I know, I know we can talk for ages and we've been here for a while now, so I'd just like to wrap up Tara by, um, by if you're willing to share how folks can connect with you and, um, yeah, and just yeah um they can find me on instagram um my handle is tara t-a-r-a underscore tara t-e-r-r-a underscore and or they can email me at um my first and last name it's actually my maiden name tara v vecchi v as in victor e-c-c-i at gmail.com Awesome. So I will pop those in the show notes. Um, yes, I'm just I'm so, so, so appreciative. Uh, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Tara, for sharing your story. And um, yeah, please feel free to reach out to either of us if any questions come up around CFT. And we'll be happy to answer those. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah.